0: Hi, Bob. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm a little bit concerned, though. Why? Well, we've been doing this podcast for a bit now, and as Star Wars fans, I'm kind of concerned at the fact that every time I say hello there and you don't respond with General Kenobi, yeah, it's a bit niche though, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a very famous meme, everyone knows it. Yeah, but you know I thought they were memes until recently. Well, actually, fun fact, in Argentina they are called meme. Well, we've learnt something already, haven't we? I know. Still, if I say hello there... General Kenobi. Yay! Okay, it's, I still think it's too niche for our audience. But anyway, how's your week been? Boring. Well, we cleaned out the garage. Yeah, exactly. And... You made your first attempt at Beef Wellington. Well, I wouldn't call it an attempt. I think it turned out really well. Oh, it was amazing. Do you want to tell the listeners how you prepared it? Oh, is this a cooking podcast now? No, it's not a cooking podcast, but I just thought it'd be interesting. Okay, so just basically you grab a piece of beef, Mm -hmm. you wrap it in mushroom, nice, then you wrap it in ham, and then you wrap it in pastry. So a lot of wrapping. A lot of wrapping. One thing, though, that I did meant to ask you at the time was, why did you put Star Wars characters uh, onto the pastry? Because I had extra pastry, and those are the only cookie cutters that we have. Okay, all right, but fair deuce, fair deuce. Which brings me nicely onto the fact that I've been really bored today, and... Told you. So what do you do when you're bored? Online. Online quizzes, not porn. Oh, yeah, online quizzes, sure. And I know, Ben that one of the things that you think about quite a lot and, it you know, it really plays on your mind is what kind of cookie are you? I mean, it is one of the existential doubts of my life. It's like if I were to be a philosopher, my first sort of book would be called What Type of Cookie Am I? Well, you don't need to worry anymore because we're about to find out. Oh, God. So is this like a, uh, like a magazine quiz that I answer questions and it says what type of cookie I am? Yeah. Okay, so do we compare what cookie I think I am with which cookie I actually am? I mean, my favourite cookie is white chocolate and macadamia. And the reason for that is I used to work at Subway Sandwiches and I used to make them and probably eat more than I sold. Um, We used to get the dough that came in frozen and instead of making them into sort of like you little small cookies, Mm -hmm. I would kind of melt them all together and make a giant cookie. Like a massive cookie. Yeah, and just gorge myself until I was sick. How that branch stayed open, I don't know, because I was literally eating all the profits. A terrible losses, I presume. Probably. But it was my first job when I was at university and it meant that I basically didn't have to buy any food the whole year. I used to make the sandwiches up and then without any salad in and then freeze them and just get them out when I wanted to eat them. So are you admitting to a crime? I'm not admitting to anything. Shall we get on with the quiz? Okay. <laughs> but seriously, what um, what cookie would you be? Well, the thing is, I would think that I'm a like a white chocolate chip cookie with like a golden stardust sprinkle. So quite similar to me, but no nuts. To be fair, I do like nuts, but I don't want a lot of nuts on my face. Well, that's not what I've heard. Anyway, what kind of cookie are you? Let's start. Question number one. How would you i nervous already. <laughs> I, I would be. I mean, this is going to be set in stone for the rest of your life. I know. You will have to eat this one type of cookie for the rest of your life. How would your friends describe you? Awkward. Friendly, cool, fun or curious? Okay, so awkward is not an option. No. Okay, so I will say friendly because none of the other ones apply. We're locking that in? We're locking that in. Friendly. Boo. Question number two. What was that? It was just the sound of it being locked in. Oh, okay. I'm trying to make it a bit game show-like. Oh, okay. Elevate the podcast a little bit. Yeah. Make it look like we spent a bit of money. Uh, Okay, we didn't. Which emoji best represents you? So I'll describe these. So you've got the laughing face emoji with the tears coming out either side. Okay. You've kind of got the proud one with the red rosy cheeks. Okay. Uh, The cool one with the sunglasses. And then just the big smiley laughing happy face. So is it which one I use the most or which one describes me? Which best represents you. Okay, so that's an interesting one. Because realistically, the one that I use the most is actually the uh, laughing one with the teardrops uh, going out the other side. But I do have 11 pairs of sunglasses. So I'm going to go with the sunglasses one. Okay. Question number three. where you didn't do the noise. Oh, I'm bored of the noise now. Weren't we in a, in a game show? We're still in the game show, but don't okay. worry about the noise. Okay. That's fine. If you need the noise, I'll yeah, do the noise. Yeah, do the noise. You, as in you, Benja, you're travelling to a deserted island that can only take one of the below items with you. A boat. What do you take from this list? Oh. A ball, a book, sweets, or a hammock? I'm super lazy, so I'm going to say hammock. Thank you for the noise. What would your ideal evening involve? Talking to my friends online, watching telly and chilling out, learning something new, or playing computer games? I mean, again, I'm lazy. I'm mostly every night we do television and chill, so I kind of feel like I have to pick that one or it might be offensive to you. Oh, I'm sorry your life's so boring. It's not, it's like TV and chill. So you're going with watching telly and chilling out? Telly and chilling out. Yeah. And finally, question number five. Choose a mythical creature. Ooh. Mermaid, unicorn, pegasus, or dragon? Ooh, that's a difficult one because the pegasus can fly, but the dragon can spit fire. The dragon flies as well. Oh, yeah. Then this it's an easy one. Dragon. Dragon all the way. Pew. Right. Do I find out now? You do find out now. Oh, so exciting. So all the results have been independently verified. And I can confirm, you are classic chocolate chip. How? Oh. You can't go wrong with the classics, it says. So the, boring. The chocolate chip is a wonderful cookie that is loved and adored by everyone. You are trusted and kind-hearted, just like a classic chocolate chip cookie. Mm, okay, thank you. Okay, thank you for calling me boring. Now, I have to say that I found this quiz on the BBC website. So this is what you're paying your licence fee for. And I suppose that if you're listening to us and you're not paying for a TV licence, then what better reason to pay for a TV licence than quizzes like this? I mentioned the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, something that we as a nation, as in my nation, Great Britain, has given to the world. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. To the world of Great Britain. No, to the entire world, what we have given the world. Yes. So what we are going to discuss today is Argentinian and British inventions that made it throughout the world. This is a little bit of a curveball, first one, because it's something that is not very well known because someone is taking undue credit. Mm. Mm. So, if I were to tell you that the first animated feature film was Argentinian... No, no, no. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. American. No, it wasn't. Get away. No, no, it's true, it's true. Of course, as you, as you well say, Americans take credit of their own, to Disney for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was, according to them, the first animated feature film in 1937. However, 20 years earlier than that, in 1917, Argentinian Quirino Cristiani released... Doesn't sound very Argentinian. It was an Argentinian-Italian immigrant. Okay. Uh, in 1917, he released the first ever animated feature film called El Apostol, which was 70 minutes long, and it roughly, the name roughly translates into English, so El Apostol roughly translates to The Apostol. Okay, so what is a feature film? So a feature film is a film that is longer than a short. So this one, for example, was 70 minutes long. Okay, well I've been doing a little bit of my own research in the background while you've been speaking. And according to the Screen Actors Guild, A feature film is actually 75 minutes or longer. So I think you can see why the Americans have uh, tried to claim it as theirs. Okay, so first of all, who the hell are they? Who the hell is that screens whatever? Screen Actors Guild. SAG. So no one. uh, Or or no one important. So ask ask the real people. I want a second opinion. Well, you're in luck. Because the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which I think they're the Oscars people, aren't they? So it's basically the people who you would go to ask of what is a feature film. The American Film Institute and the British Film Institute, the BFI, Mm -hmm. they say that a feature film runs for more than 40 minutes. Okay, so that saggy thing just doesn't matter. Anyway, 1917, Argentina, first ever feature animated. Feature film. What's it about? So it's about... It's a political satire about the president at the time. Very. Well, I know. That was... In 1917, that was what we had to worry about. We went in a massive war. Yeah, we were kind of busy back then. Yeah, exactly. You were a little bit busy. Uh, That was followed by three other Argentinian feature films in 1918. And then it only got followed by a different country in 1926 by Germany. Oh. And then in 1935, the Soviet Union released a, um, a a Gulliver feature animated feature film. Wow. That was in 1935, or before the release of Nowhere Than Seven Dwarfs. So whenever you see a child looking marveled at the TV, looking at an animated feature film, and is marveled and enjoying it and growing, to be a wonderful, happy person, you're welcome. What's this film called again? It's called El Apostol. Well, it's not on Netflix. Yeah, it was in 1917. Mm. And it's not on Curzon Home Cinema either. Yeah, and it's, you definitely won't find it in Disney Plus either. Well, quite. So you've basically given us a cartoon. Exactly. So if this was a tennis match, that's this is myself, animated feature films. <sighs> Well, I said it. You've given us a cartoon. What did we give the world? We gave them the steam engine. Industrialization, mass mobilisation of people and things. Connectivity. Now, I'm a little bit biased. You know I love trains. Oh, God, he does love trains. I absolutely love trains. I am a train spotter. Some may call me an anorak. Yes, I do have an anorak. That is a waterproof piece of clothing. Also a British invention. So you've got two for the price and one there. Okay, so you are responsible for the concept of pollution. I don't think people like Thomas Newcomen and James Watt were thinking about those kind of things back in the day. Is that Thomas the Tank Engine? No, it's Thomas Newcomen who developed the first commercially successful steam engine. Do you think that Thomas the Tank Engine is called Thomas after him? I I don't know. I don't know. One can hope. But these guys were pioneers in their field. And then obviously when the steam engine became the steam locomotive, this was about linking up people, places, things like never before. And not just here in this country. I mean, we are talking globally. I think there's every country in the world pretty much had a had a railway at some point, maybe not Iceland. But you know, this is big stuff we're talking about here. And to be fair, I have to give it to you. I as, um, as being the partner of a transporter. We have been to a lot of railway museums all around the world. And when I mean a lot of railway museums, I mean a lot. And they all credit you for it. So, yeah, I can give you that one. Yeah, me personally, actually. Yeah, exactly. You (laughs) personally. But you love a railway museum. Uh, Yes. Is that what I'm supposed to say? It's not just the fact that they move people and things. There's something about the romance and the speed of trains that I love. And the penis shape. No, it's not just about the penis shape. Not just about it. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I'm not an objectophilia or whatever it is. You know, when people fall in love with inanimate objects. Would you fall in love with a train? No, not Physically. Is there other way that you would (laughs) fall in love with I don't know, like a holistic kind of love or something. Okay, this is going to give me nightmares. An an admiration of what they've achieved and what they've allowed us all to go on to do and continue to. You know, let's be honest, we're still using them now. I would say let's move on or this is going to give someone out there a really weird hard-on. So let's move on then. Well, I'm serving back to you. I'm basically serving back to you, mass connectivity. Off you go. Okay, so talking about things that the whole world now uses, is Argentina is credited with the first ever use of comparative dactyloscopy. Come again? Comparative dactyloscopy. Something to do with fingers. Yes, dactyloscopy refers is like the word for finger. So the first country to legalize fingering. I mean, was fingering ever illegal? Well, I've read some of those historic novels and, you know, they don't mention fingering. So when was this invented? Well, this was in 1892. Exactly. I've read novels before then. More Flanders. They don't talk about being fingered. Well, they don't talk about other things, but that doesn't make fingering illegal. Well, what is it then? Well, actually, uh, it's not fingering, although kind of close. So in 1892, it was the first ever use of fingerprinting to uh, be used in a murder investigation, in a criminal investigation. Oh, and you know how much I love being an arm check detective. And this was actually a really dramatic case. And it's worth saying that dactyloscopy had been around for uh, a while. There, w- there had been a couple of different streams of using it for different things, like for contracts, for signing contracts and, uh, and things like that. Painting? What do you mean? Like watercolours? Yeah, no, like finger painting. Like, finger painting, like what, like uh, Picasso with a, with a finger? No, but they did it in the caves in France in Neanderthal time, didn't they? Finger painted. Did they use their finger? or did, I thought they would have some, like, made-up brush off the tail of a horse or oh, something. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's too old history. But anyway. The Before fingers. the steam engine, absolutely. Yeah, Nothing exactly. gets interesting until the steam engine was invented. Oh, God, drop it. In this case, it was the first time that a a, sort of an approach was developed for criminal investigations. And it was the first time that it was used for a criminal investigation. Now, hear this. Two little children were murdered and their mum had her throat slit. Oh, my goodness. But the mum survived. Right. And she claimed that they were attacked, that there was an attacker that came into the house and murdered her children and cut her throat. But Juan Bucetich, who was an anthropologist and police officer... Sorry, can we say that name again, please? Juan Bucetich... He sounds like an Ibiza producer or somebody who I want to make a dance record with, you know, like featuring the MC Star and Real McCoy type thing. So it's kind of like David Guetta featuring Juan Moussetich. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so he's the best DJ in the world of fingerprinting, okay. shall we say. <laughs> yeah. Is that a right analogy? That's energy? his deck. Okay. The fingerprint death. The fingerprinting. <laughs> so they, they, he found a bloody fingerprint. And used a bloody fingerprint and matched it with... The mother. No! And with that piece of evidence, the mother ended up admitting that she had murdered her own children and then cut her own throat in an attempt to deviate the investigation towards someone else and not her. Blimey. I know. Drama, isn't it? You wouldn't see this in CSI. Well, you wouldn't see it in CSI unless it hadn't have happened in 1892. Absolutely. Exactly. So I suppose, you know, you've made society a bit safer. Exactly. So the thing is, after these, uh, a lot of police forces all around the world started using it as well and developing their own sort of derivations of the method for fingerprinting. So whenever you can walk down the street and you feel safe, you're welcome. It's back over the volley to you. There's no murders happening my side of the Atlantic right now. However, what I'm about to talk about probably has been involved in some murders oh, historically. Great. I'm giving you the lawnmower. Okay, now, I have to say about this, this does not come as a surprise. Because, well, Ben loves a museum. And Ben loves a weird museum. I mean, I'm not going to get started on the carpet museum that's a really... Really difficult topic in our relationship. The Matchbox Museum, and also it has to be said, our first aid was actually in a coffin works museum. Yeah, where they used to make the breastplates for the coffins. Yeah, why did you touch your boobs when you said breastplate? Because it's my <laughs> no, breastplate. breastplate. I suppose if I had a breastplate over my body, it would be where it, this would be around the right area. Are you like Wonder Woman, like wearing a breastplate there? Well, I your chest? because that means I'd be dead. Well, no, Wonder Woman is not dead. yeah, so our first aid was in a Coffin Works Museum. And it's gone from strength to strength from that moment. So Ben loves a weird museum. And once we detour 60 miles from our route to go to Southport, to go to the Great British Lawnmower Museum. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's literally round the back of a hardware shop in a couple of converted terrace houses, but it's still amazing. Yeah. So for me, the highlight was the audio guide, because you know how when you go to a museum, you get the audio guide, you get your um, headsets, you get your headsets, and then you press the number and you see the exhibit. Well, here, when you went in, the guy put a CD in a system that was from the 1990s. And basically every speaker in every room would play the CD and that was your audio guide, which meant that if anyone else would come in, they would have to put it again from the beginning and you would lose your progress. Luckily, we were in the lawnmower museum, so no one really comes in. No, so we got the full audio tour uninterrupted. Full thing. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway from visiting the British Lawnmower Museum was that we now know the difference between a lawnmower and a grass cutter. I mean, it's really difficult to explain it without doing hand motions, isn't it? Though, but I would say that a lawnmower is a cylinder that rotates, and basically the cylinder has the blades and it rotates, doing a three hundred and sixty uh, movement, if you like. And the grass cutter is actually horizontal blades and it spins horizontally. So, like your flymo. Yeah, that was very well explained. I know, I did study engineering. All right, no one likes to show off. But you also had a photograph with the world's largest lawnmower. I know, that was a highlight, actually. It was really big. Huge. I think we will post that on Instagram in a bit. Yeah, we'll have to post a photo of that one. And we're almost forgetting the lawnmowers of the rich and famous. Well, the rich and famous might be an old state. Whoa, 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 whoa. We saw... Brian May, of Queen, his lawnmower. Yeah, and given, we also saw Princess Diana and Prince Charles, of the Queen's loins, lawnmower. Oh, it was amazing. But that was it. No, they also had Alan Titchmarsh, Vanessa Feltz, Joe Pasquale. So, who, who, who? There was James May. Is that the brother of Brian May? No, 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 it's the guy off top Gear. Ah. Paul O'Grady. Blank. Eric Morecambe. No idea. Richard and Judy. Uh, Who? British Institutions. Lee Mack. Oh, is that the comedian? Yeah. Oh, I I have a weird crush on Lee Mack. Mm, Let's talk about that later. I I know he's ugly. It's just, I have a, it's a weird, that's why it's called a weird crush. And there was Richard Bacon and there was some random Blue Peter presenter that I'd never heard of. It was incredible. Nobody. And don't forget, they had racing lawnmowers as well. Another thing that you can raise on. It's not that you have two feet. For the sake of argument, the lawnmower was invented by Edwin Beard Budding in 1830, just outside of Stroud in Gloucestershire. There we are. And without him, we wouldn't be able to have sports matches, we wouldn't be able to enjoy parts of the outdoors world. You know, the grass cutter really revolutionized how we embraced the great outdoors. So, is the grass cutter like an evolution of the lawnmower? Well, you had the lawnmower, which was British, yeah. and then obviously that became the grass cutter over time. So it's like a Pokemon. So it's like the basic version is the lawnmower, and then the evolution version is the grass cutter. Something like that. And on that note, I'm passing it back to you. The next one that I have, let's just call it that it's a little bit far fetched. So you're basically saying it's not an Argentinian invention. Well, it is and it isn't. As Argentinians, part of our culture, is that we are very welcoming. So whoever comes to us, we welcome them with open arms and we welcome their inventions as open arms and say those inventions were Argentinian. <laughs> okay. But uh, hear me here. What we brought to the world is the ballpoint pen. Ugh, who uses pens these days? Uh, everyone. No, they don't. What do you use? A goose feather? A tablet. Well, but what if you have to write not on a tablet, like, on paper. I just memorise it. Yeah, and that's why you can't remember crap. Of course I use a pen. The pen? You wouldn't thought that it's an Argentinian invention. And it kind of is. And it kind of isn't. And it kind of isn't. <laughs> there was this guy who created one at some point, but it, it wasn't a commercial success. No one cared. It was completely forgotten. No, it didn't matter. It just it didn't exist. Where was he from? I have no idea. Okay. That's the thing. Just pretend that the guy didn't exist. Okay. Um, for the purpose of the story, it works. But then you have this guy who was Hungarian. Famously uh, not Argentinian. Uh, give me a second. Give me a second. His name was Laszlo Josef Schweiger, that then went to be known as Laszlo Josef Biro. Oh, I see what he did there. What? Like Biro. Yeah, it's Biro. No, it's Biro. No, it's Biro. Have we been saying it wrong all this time? You have. So it's Biro? Biro, yeah. Not Biro? Yeah. Wow. Game changer. What happened is that in the 30s, he made a patent for the ballpoint pen in Paris. Oh, so not even in Argentina? Wait, wait. But then in 1943, he fled Europe, uh, escaping the Nazis, and went to Argentina and became uh, an Argentinian citizen. So he had Argentinian citizenship and was then from there on known as José Biro. So his name in Spanish. And uh, he went with his brother as well. And they created a company called Biro Pens of Argentina. And it was the first factory in the world to actually commercially manufacture ballpoint pens. So in Argentina, you don't call them Biro's, you call them biro. We call, we actually call them birome, which is the Argentinian word. Birome. For so, like, yeah. my birome. Birome. I mean, it's a good try, but you're really butchering Spanish right now. Well, uh, you know, this is how language evolves. Let's say that. It's just a name. It's just a name for it. It's birome in Argentinian Spanish. So, that's what we brought to the world. So, we popularized and we distributed throughout the world. A way for you to write. Imagine that all of the poets, all of the writers, everything that you read that has been written after 1943 and before the invention of computers. I mean, we had books back then. Well, yeah, but they weren't written. They were written like grappling in those feather things that in awful thing and presses that were awful. You've never heard of the Gutenberg. No, exactly. But like manuscripts, writing, you're welcome. Well, it's quite interesting because, as we said before, we live in Warwickshire, which is not far from Birmingham. And Birmingham, in the West Midlands, they produced, in the jewellery quarter, nine out of every ten pens in the world at the start of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Of course, before Biro, exactly, whatever his name was. There's a pen museum in Birmingham, which I need to take you to, actually. Another weird museum. And Biro is... A four-letter word there. I mean, you cannot mention that word in the museum because it basically destroyed the British pen trade. Well, I mean, to be fair, they kind of had it coming. These were, of course, cartridge pens, um, very different to the uh, to Biro, Road. Yeah, so they were old-fashioned, not modern. They deserved to be extinct by the bureau. Well, one thing that isn't extinct and is from the same area, in fact, it's literally five minutes down the road from us, Where Sir Frank Whittle invented the jet engine. Okay. Shout out to Frank. Yeah, okay. So, again, pollution. But you wouldn't be here without the jet engine. Well, you could be here, but you would have had to have got a boat over to the UK. Oh, that would be lovely. To be fair, that's one of the things that I've always said I've always wanted to do, was there's a cruise that goes from Buenos Aires and it goes to Italy. I would love to. It takes like three weeks, but I would love to do that. So. No engine. Well, I'll be taking the jet engine because I want to get back to the mass Singer or something like that. Oh, thank you for keeping me company. Well, I'm sure you'll be fine. There'll be a buffet or something. Well, I do like a buffet. But yeah, so Frank Whittle, he invented the jet engine in Lutterworth, which is literally, as I say, around the corner from where we live. In fact, you can still see the first floor window where he would shoot rabbits to supplement his uh, wartime food rations. So how do the rabbits add to this story? Oh, it's just a little bit of a fun ditty to... Well, Was the engine fueled by rabbit blood? No, no, no. It's just a a nice thing to share with you. It was war. He was killing rabbits. Well, it was the war, wasn't it? You know, food supplies was really scarce. And he would just shoot rabbits out of his window to have a bit more to eat in the evening. Yeah, and a little bit of fun, I suppose. Yeah, while he was inventing the world's first jet engine. See, yours is kind of like destruction and uh, pollution and so on. Um, ours is creativity, happy children, security. Look, you've given us a cartoon, a bit of fingering and a pen that no one uses anymore. I have given you steam engine, industrialisation, the lawnmower, allowing you know mass participation events to happen and the jet engine, allowing us to travel to every corner of the world. There was loads of other things that I could have mentioned that I didn't. The World Wide Web was invented by Britain, TV, the uh, ATM, chocolate bar. And you can come back with other ones and say whatever you like. But it is a known fact that around 50% of all inventions throughout history originated in the UK. How about some of these? Postage stamps, penicillin, the flushing toilet. Boring. The reflecting telescope, the seed drill, the marine chronometer, the spinning frame, the toothbrush, soda water. What's that even? The hydraulic press, the glider, the tension spoked wheel, the tin can, the modern fire extinguisher, the electric motor, the electric telegraph. See, all of the, the only word that I can find that connects all of these is beige. The hypodermic syringe, synthetic dye, the Bessemer process, linoleum, the sewage system. The modern torpedo. I mean, you're repeating yourself now. The historic novel. The safety bicycle. Safety bicycle. Not even a proper bicycle, a safety one. The pneumatic tyre. The thermos flask. The electric vacuum cleaner. The jigsaw. Disc brakes. Stainless steel. The military tank. Cat's eyes. The electronic programmable... Wait, cat's eyes? Do you actually put eyes in cats where they plant before you? The electronic programmable computer. The hovercraft. Greenwich Mean Time. The automatic kettle, float gas, the hip replacement, carbon fibre, the collapsible baby buggy. Collapsible baby buggy. All very necessary inventions, I suppose. The wind-up radio, Steri Spray, the department store, and I'll breathe, sandwiches. Sandwiches. Yeah, we invented the Earl of Sandwich. Okay, so it's two bread. Everyone had that. I'm sorry. That's not an invention. But inventions aside... Think about the TV that we've given the world. I mean, can you imagine a world without The Only Way Is Essex? Yes, I could. And I wish that was the case. Films, music, arts and culture, Shakespeare, The Beatles, the BBC, we've mentioned that, food and drink, fashion. We even gave the world the fast food rockers. The what? A pizza, a pizza, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a pizza. Oh God, that's the worst song in the world. You've given the world the most insulting, worst song ever. And one more thing, and then I'll finish and I'll shut it up. We gave the world football, rugby, cricket, baseball, golf, darts, and curling. So you invented all of the sports that you now suck at. I think we are a step closer to figuring out whose culture is better. Well, I think if you want quantity, then you know that it's British. Well, if you want quality, and a little bit far-fetched at times, <laughs> it's But did we get it right? Have we mentioned, I think I've pretty much mentioned every patented in British invention throughout history. But, um, you know, it needed to be said from my point of view. But if you agree with us, disagree with us, do get in touch. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Bareback pod You can search us on Facebook. Just search for the page Bare Back. You just search. That's yeah, we exactly. do. It's just search. search. Just search. There. And we're also on, what else are we on? Inst- Your Instagram, Bare Back Podcast. And we'll be showing that photograph of you at the uh, Long Mile Museum. Museum. And of course, you can send us an email at, at gmail.com. So that's it for this week. I'm going to go and research which uh, weird museum we're going to visit next. And I suppose I'll have to bake chocolate cookies now. Be nice. I mean, bland. bit bland, but you know. That's how the cookie crumbles. Bye. Bye.